So there's an old preacher story that tells about the time a church held a week-long revival. First night, preacher was done with the sermon. Fellow was so moved, he stood up and he yelled, Fill me, Lord, fill me. He went right down to the front and kneeled at the altar. Revival kept going on night after night. And each night this fellow kept showing up, and each night after the sermon he would stand up, and he would raise his arms, and he would shout, Fill me, Lord, fill me. And he'd walk down to the front, kneel, and the preacher would pray with him. On the last night, preacher preached hard, and as soon as he was done, this fellow popped right up from his pew. He began to walk down to the front, and as he walked down, he repeated over and over again, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me. And as soon as he knelt down at the altar, as soon as the preacher got right down to pray with him, some guy in the back stood up, he had just about had enough, and he yelled out, don't do it, preacher, that man leaks. Now, I don't know the theological correctness of that story. Maybe both guys are right. The fellow going forward was certainly right to open himself up to God's presence and grace. On the other hand, the other fellow wasn't too off the mark by naming the fact that this guy, this guy seems to be, in his words, leaking. Leaking all that God is filling him up with. And maybe in the simplicity of the story, that's one of the takeaways. One of the takeaways is that we really do leak. In other words, that we were never designed and created to run on a never-ending supply of energy. We may think that we're the energizer bunny, but none of us are. We can probably all attest personally that it's not possible to just keep going and going and going and going and going. Eventually, we wind down. We eventually run down. We eventually lack the necessary energy we need in order to do life. Now, energy is an interesting term. To different folks, it probably means different things. For some, it's what runs your house. It's what runs your appliances. For others, it's having this capacity to get stuff done. And you may say, I didn't have much energy, but I took a nap, and now I have more energy. And in that sense, it's physical energy. But for others, it's a bit deeper. It's energy at the soul level. Their lack of energy never seems to be renewed through a nap or even a day off. Their soul, if you will, lacks energy, which is another way of saying it lacks vitality. They get plenty of sleep, they eat the right foods, but below the surface, way down deep into their life, they seem to lack this vitality and this energy to do life. And I think the reasons for this energy drain could be multiple. It could be you're in a season of transition and the change and all the changes are draining you. We just got off the phone yesterday with Erin and her husband Avery and they're moving from one house to another and they've been doing this move in little pieces over the last two or three weeks, and you can just hear in her voice the tiredness, the energy drain, just living in two places, and all of a sudden, uh, she just is so worn out, and hopefully today they're all done, we'll find out. But maybe you're in one of those transitions. Could be that season of transition and change that there's still so much that's unknown and uncertain, and it's often the uncertainty and the anxiety that drains us. For others, it Maybe losing a sense of purpose and meaning in life or in work. What once energized you energizes you no more and you feel you're just punching the clock and checking off the boxes and just going through the motions. For others, it's a relationship. Some relationships, quite honestly, they're too high maintenance. Some relationships, as we like to say, come with just a lot of drama. And it drains you more than it energizes you. And then for some, it's because they're in a season of grief and loss. They're grieving the loss of a loved one, a friend, or a family member, or maybe it's the loss of a job or the ability to do something physically. Loss comes in many forms. Even the loss of a dream, experiencing loss that drains our souls and it takes time and 
healing to be restored back to this place of vitality and energy. So when I think of energy, you've probably figured this out already. When I think of energy, I think of soul. When we say something has soul, what we mean it has vitality and aliveness to it. The challenge is this. What are you and I doing to live with vitality and energy? How are we managing our energies well? Which is really another way of saying this. How are you and I being good stewards of our soul and the energy that comes from living a soulful life? And what are you and I doing to restore energy like that guy in the story so that we don't keep leaking out? Now, that's a lot of questions. I get that. That's a lot of queries. And maybe you're drained by just having all these questions and queries. Here's what I know to a certain extent. If we don't approach this from the inside out, if we approach it from the outside in, this is where addictions come into play. Addictions often help to numb the pain, but they also provide sometimes a quick energy boost the soul often craves. So we shop and we get that rush, or we have another drink, or we relax ourselves, or we binge on Netflix, or we, sh or, or we book another weekend or away, or we spend hours upon hours online. We try to somehow fill this from the outside in, and all these may work temporarily, but they're basically like soul substitutes. They're like a quick fix. They don't have any lasting power, or as I like to say, they're like the five-hour energy drink of the soul. They get us going for a while, but the next thing you know, we simply have no more energy anymore, and we can't figure out why. I think what our soul longs for is connection, and it's this connection that infuses energy into our soul. In the scriptures, this connection is what I often call spirit, Holy Spirit. The spirit connects us up with, with that which gives us life, in which we live and move and have our being. It connects us with God. And for me, the spirit connects me with God, and the spirit serves as this conduit through which the life and love of God flows into my soul. This is why I think addictions can be so deceptive. It feels like a connection at first, and we get that rush. But in reality, we're being disconnected from that which is most real, our own soul. And so what our soul most needs is this energizing life of God that flows into us, and we are connected to it by the Spirit. Now, Paul, who wrote the letter to the Colossians, knew this and experienced it personally. For years, Paul's connection was this external-based religion. He was a Pharisee with the right pedigree. He was well-versed in the rules and regulations of, of, of living, um, uh, the regulations of religion, and he knew who was in and who was out. But what his soul lacked more than anything else was this life-giving energy and the vitality of God's grace. In other words, even his religion was sort of living from the outside in. Again, one of my friends likes to call it checking out the boxes. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, but there's nothing going on on the inside. And that was Paul's existence until the day he was literally knocked off his horse by the living reality of the living Christ, and it completely transformed his life. And Paul went from being a persecutor and a murderer of Gentiles to one whose life calling and mission was to take God's grace and welcome to all the Gentiles. And all of his letters in the New Testament are a witness to, his, to God's grace in his life and to the energy he experienced to fulfill God's call in his life. In fact, he literally uses that word, energy. In the Common English Bible, the passage that John read this morning, it reads this way, quote, God wanted to make the glorious riches of his secret plan known among the Gentiles, which is Christ living in you. That's what he wanted to tell the Gentiles. Essentially, Christ can live in all of us. Christ can live in you. It's not just for the Jewish people who have become believers. It is for every one of us. 
This is what we preach, he writes, as we warn and teach every person with all wisdom so that we might present each one mature in Christ. And then he writes this, I work hard and I struggle for this goal. Paul was no, uh, no non-passionate person. Paul lived with passion. Paul lived with intensity. Paul lived with a sense of mission. He said, I work hard for this goal with his energy, which works in me powerfully. So what is it that keeps Paul going? It's the energizing life and presence of God that Paul experiences as grace. It's the sense of purpose and call that God has placed on his life. One person put it this way, when I tried to answer the question how I personally experienced the Holy Spirit, then the first word and clearest answer had to be as energy. I think it's a good word. I think it's a better word than power. Power is for ruling. Energy is for living. And I love that. And that is the key. Energy is for living. When I've tried to describe to people for me what it feels like for God's presence to just be this very real experience in my life, I literally have used that word and said it feels like a sense of being energized, being energized with creativity, being energized with with insight. Sometimes it's physical energy, but there is this deep awareness that I'm not doing this alone. And, and the energy God grants through the Spirit is for living and for living life well. It's for us to be able to love well, to serve well, to lead well, to inspire well. And through the Spirit, God energizes us so we're able to bring to our world a presence that both inspires and generates. In the places we go, we're able to inspire and generate love. In the places we frequent, we're able to inspire and generate hope. In the various moments throughout our day, we're able to inspire and generate peace. And even if we are going through some tough season of life, God's Spirit and and grace energizes us so that we're able to inspire and generate hope for others through our story in the ways that we have been able to make it through that season ourselves. There's a pastor and author, uh, Kai Nielsen, who writes this, quote, I'm convinced it's possible to discover the wellspring of God's creative energy by intentionally and purposefully opening ourselves to it and letting it expand our capacity for more vital living. Creative energy empowers our lives, allows us to interact more energetically with others, and connects us more intentionally with all of creation. So in a sense, I would put it this way. To manage our energies well is to order our lives in such a way that we're connecting with that which re-energizes us as well as caring for our soul in such a way that we create boundaries so that we guard our hearts against that which drains us. So, for example, when I'm connecting with that which energizes me, I'm connecting with God through spiritual practices such as silence, solitude, reading, worship, being in community with others. And you may find that you connect with God in other ways. Some connect with God through nature. Some connect with God through music. Still others connect with God through acts of service and activism. What helps one person connect may not work for another. The key is this. Pay attention to how you connect with God and make it a part of your life so you can open yourself to divine energy. And I think you know. I think you've experienced it. I think you have been in moments where you say this almost to yourself, what? This really energized me. Pay attention to that. I also experience connection when I'm living the life God has called me to live instead of the life others may expect me to live. Now, some call this authenticity. Others may refer to this as their true self. But simply put, it's following God's call upon your life 
and living out who God has created you to be. Uh, Parker Palmer, who's a Quaker author, put it this way, that it is indeed possible to live a life other than one's own. Now, don't let that go right by you. Hear that again. It is possible to live a life other than one's own. My question often is, whose life are you living? The life you've been given or the life everyone expects you to live? When we're living that kind of life, a life other than one's own, we soon find we're exhausted. We soon find we're drained and sometimes even resentful. And it's at that point we're invited to reclaim the person God created us to be and to live the life that God intends for us to live. When I'm creating boundaries around my soul, and boundaries are like fences. Boundaries are, are ways that you say to people, this is, this is where, where, where each of us stop. This is, this is what's for me. This is where I begin and you end. When I create boundaries for my soul, I'm simply guarding my soul against that which drains it or is toxic. This could be a relationship. It might be unnecessary drama. Sometimes this means guarding my heart and soul against what I would sometimes call cynicism or fatalism disguised as negativity. And other times this means taking the time I need to replenish my soul with the awareness that I may end up disappointing some people because I can't always live up to their expectations. And I will tell you this. You will know when you have created good boundaries for yourself when you disappoint a few people in your life, when your yes becomes greater than your no. Is that right? When your no becomes greater than yes. See, I knew I'd get that turned around. When your no becomes greater than your yes. When you have created boundaries for who you are and what you will allow, you will probably end up disappointing a few people. But as the scripture says, we all need to guard our heart because what Proverbs says, it is the wellspring of life. It's the thing that gives you vitality. Not your physical heart, but your soul. Guard it with everything you can because it is the very center of your life and your energy and your vitality. Now, Paul probably didn't use the term boundaries. He probably didn't use the term connection. He probably didn't go to a therapist. He probably didn't see a life coach. But he certainly experienced within his soul this energizing power that enabled him to live fully alive with the world in which he served. For Paul, this aliveness always showed up as joy, peace, courage, love, compassion, and authenticity. This aliveness and energy filled him with perseverance and resilience, and this aliveness and energy empowered him to bear witness to God's kingdom, to challenge all the powers in the world, and it inspired him to be who he finally knew who he would become and to live it in that way. So here's my final word. Paul managed his energy well because he opened his soul to a deep connection with God. And he always connected deeply with his call and purpose. And what I know is this. We need to be people of deep connection with the divine, with God, as well as with our deep purpose. Because if there's one thing our world needs right now, it needs creative energy. If there's one thing our world needs right now, it needs hopeful energy. If there's one thing our world needs right now, it needs the most creative, courageous hearts and minds that their energy can muster. Because it's just in a very tough place. And I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm being overdramatic. I think in many ways that is very real and very true. But it all starts with where we are. It all starts with where we live. It all starts in the relationships in which we exist. So how... My final question is, how can you and I reorder our life to connect with God's divine energy? What do we need to do with our lives, and how do we need to reorder them or reprioritize for that to happen? 
The second question is simply this. What boundaries do you or I need to establish in order to guard our heart and our soul? It may be an overused term, but I think it's true. How do we need to practice good self-care for our soul? How do we need to own our soul, own our vitality, so that we can give our best self back to this world? 